In my first year as an ordained minister, I came to know an older woman of quiet serenity, deep, sensible wisdom, and abiding faith. The serenity was especially poignant after I came to learn about her story one day over coffee. She told of a very bright, ambitious young woman destined for great things. Driven and competent, she broke through the ranks of a corporation known for its hard glass ceilings. Along the way, she married a supportive man, delivered two beautiful children, and achieved great material success. But she had secrets, some of which she kept even from herself, secrets about deep fear and self-loathing, among other things. One secret she did know about was the bottle of vodka in her desk drawer, which was never allowed to run dry. Eventually, her alcoholism caused her to lose it all. Her marriage, her career, even her kids for a while. She reported that her need to control her desperate attempt to make life conform to her worldview and what she now saw as her fear-driven arrogance drove her to a state of humiliation and despair. She couldn't really say what finally caused her to take the hand of a friend who drove her to her first AA meeting, but she began to rebuild her life into something that more nearly approximated, as she put it, the truth. And along the way, she found God, or as she put it, maybe God found her. She said to me, I don't know what you'll think about this, but I knew I had found my center when, surprisingly, I heard myself saying one night at a meeting that I thanked God I was an alcoholic. I didn't mean I was thankful for the pain and ruin, but instead that, that by smacking up hard against my limitations and failure, my spirit cracked open and I found myself. That would be the first of a lot of many similar statements I would hear from people in a wide variety of contexts over the next four decades, right up to the present moment. Honest, sincere people thanking God for all manner of difficulties of one sort or another, some for which they were personally responsible and others that sort of just came at them sideways out of nowhere. The gratitude was never for the actual failure, loss, or disruption, but for the new person or the new faith that wound up emerging on the other side. Now, I do not subscribe to the sentimental God never gives us something we can't handle school of thought. I've seen too much bad stuff go down to imagine that this stripped down theology summarizes the human situation 
I do not believe that it does. On the other hand, it is often the case that a gift is hidden within challenging circumstance, regardless of its origins. That without the challenging circumstance, the gift would never be realized, or at least so it would seem. I recently wrote a short bit about Helen Keller. You remember her. She was an American author, political activist, and lecturer, the first deaf-blind person to receive a Bachelor of Arts degree. She campaigned for women's suffrage and labor rights and anti-militarism and other causes, proving to the world that deaf-blind people could all learn to communicate and that they would survive in the hearing-seeing world. Here was her short comment that I reflected on. The world is, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. I know from my own version of the dark night of the soul that but for the stunning desperation I experienced, I would never have really understood the limitations of my own powers and then how to truly and for real rely on a power much greater than my own. And while I would never want to go through such a thing again, I am profoundly grateful and utterly changed as a result. I would tell you that prior to this time, I dabbled at the outer rings of faith. And after that time, I had a visceral sense of what it might mean to die in order to live. The heart of the Christian message transformed from a flat two dimensions into a stunning display of all of them. And I'm well aware that others have had far grittier and grimmer circumstances to endure than me, but, but as for that, who's to say which circumstance for which person has the greater claim on authenticity? What I can tell you is that at some point along the way, something happened, something I hadn't expected, something out of the blue that came at me sideways from out of nowhere, so far as it seemed to me at the time. And I had choices to make about whether or not to let go and to fall into the arms of God. In the passage we just heard from John, we're told that some Greeks wanted to see Jesus, and by that I suppose the writer means they would like to meet him, perhaps speak with him. Evidently these Greeks had heard of Jesus and they were intrigued. Now John's interest in the telling is not on these seekers, but on the one they wish to see. And in the presence of his disciples, Jesus states, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, but the glorification has nothing to do with becoming either a political savior or a, on the one hand or a celebrity preacher on the other. It has nothing to do with success in the ordinary meanings we assign to that. His next words are shockingly distant from what we might think of as a great accomplishment. He speaks about his death. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, 
it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Life, death, and life restored is the heart of the Christian gospel. We're now moving into the season in which this theme is displayed in its full archetypal glory. Jesus, the seed, will be sown in the earth, which will in turn bring forth an astonishing fruitfulness, a great flowering of the life abundant. That's the story of Holy Week that's just up ahead. A stunning, incomprehensible revelation about how the world has been fashioned. Now, of course, if this were only a story, say a colorful legend from a long time ago in a land far, far away, rather than a searing description of how the life of the world has been wrought in the hands of God, there would be no places like this for the sharing of it 2,000 years later. It's an incredible mystery for certain how lifting a man upon a cross, an instrument of torture and capital punishment, could draw billions to himself. How does that make any sense at all? Honestly, I don't know how we are to make full sense of this mystery. The man on the cross remains stunningly charismatic. The church has offered a number of theories about this over the centuries and explanations and formed them into doctrines and dogmas about its meaning. Yet none of these finally stand on their own. None completely hold the truth of it. But then you see, along comes a woman who tells you her story about dying to her old self and rising again to a brand new self, and she knows for certain that this has come to her as a mysterious gift from God. And the story of Jesus' last days begins to resonate in a very deep place within, a place that is less comfortable with words and more comfortable with flat-out reality where certain decisions are made, such as whether to let go, risking what seems like death for certain only to fall into the arms of God like a seed that falls to the ground and dies to become the miraculous thing that was always latent within. Or along comes a man who has suffered a heart attack two years earlier who tells you that it was the best thing that had ever happened to him. A miraculous thing, actually. Nearly died in the emergency room. In fact, he was told that he had died. Turned his world upside down and inside out, first causing, after the fact, a profound, overwhelming depression. But then, miraculously, somehow, during an especially dark night, he gave up. That is, he threw in the towel on his puny powers and he awoke the next day knowing he was different, new, and everything sort of looked the same, but sharper, clearer. He realized it was his sight. He saw things in four dimensions instead of his normal two, and he saw that he wasn't alone. In fact, he was held by something. No, no someone who loved him more than he could describe, and his words failed him. He could not capture the experience. Or, as the old story is told, along comes a man who betrayed his best friend. 
in fact, watched as his friend was led away on a trumped-up charge that would lead to his death. The man was afraid for his own life, just flat-out afraid. He would have betrayed his own mother in that moment. Indeed, it is as if that is exactly what he had done. Betrayed everything he had ever thought he really honored in his life. And then one night in a sweaty anxiety, his friend somehow came to him mystically and he knew that an overwhelming life transforming forgiveness was offered and the man he had been fell into the earth and died that night. And the next morning, a brand new shoot had sprung up from the fertile spot where the seed tusk had fallen. And that man's name was Peter, the apostle, the supposed rock upon whom the church would be built. We'll be hearing his story next week. Or along comes people just like you, just like you, who have heard about this Jesus, similar to the Greeks in our gospel lesson. The Greeks are us, we might say. We're intrigued by the stories we've heard, by the buildings that have been erected in his memory and the communities dedicated to serve the world in his name. Many have said they're, they've thrown in their lot with him so far as they've understood it, yet maybe the seeds of their lives have yet to really fall to the earth and die so that the latent fruitfulness can finally be released. I don't know. I don't know. How does anyone really know the heart of another person? hard enough to know one's own heart, isn't it? What do you think? How is it for you? In the language of John's Gospel, a voice from heaven, we're told, speaks as Jesus asks for his Father's blessing and some here are ratifying thunder as he asserts, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. And the mystery looms large, and the mystery sounds like thunder, because it's bigger than words. And sometimes rattling and resonating our cellular membranes, the essence of our material and spiritual selves. And though we hadn't thought of it like this before, it's almost as if the seed is being put on alert that the time is near for its transformation. Time for the life God has intended for us all along. And the voice says, watch this Jesus. Listen to what he says. Let him stay with you for a while and see what can happen.